Hi, I'm Carissa Schlott. And I am Sharice Schlott. Welcome to Between Between Us, a podcast that highlights our relationship as sisters, providing a safe space to share our stories. These conversations highlight unity and connection, the through lines that connect all of us as human beings. Before we dive in, we would like to highlight that the views expressed in each episode are a product of our own research and experiences. Our opinions are not representative of any professional affiliations we may have. We're back! Episode 16, Part 2, Eric Teplitz. There were so many moments that I wanted to copy and paste and repeat in the intro because they're so eloquently stated and they hold so much truth. But I've chosen to begin with one that really stayed with me. And so I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. And you get to hear it again at the end. As a human being, you are worthy simply by fact of your existence. And you're worthy of love. Now let's jump back in to the episode. So this weird thing like allowed you to to satisfy both of those aspects of myself. Well, this is exactly what I want to do, what I should be doing. So it put me on a path and there's a lot I could say about that. But I think for for our purposes now, I'll just say that the part that was unhealthy was this sense of identity and sense of worth being completely tied to this construct. Like I am this and this is what makes me worthwhile. And without this, I'm nothing. And I'm maybe overstating it a little bit, but I do believe that I believed that. So I also thought that like I felt this sort of need to prove my worthiness. And in order for for that to occur, I had to accomplish two things. Number one was I had to create what I felt was the best creative work that I was capable of. I held myself to a standard that was purely subjective. Well, I was just going to ask that. How do you measure that? How do you know this? This is the best, most creative thing I could have produced. Yeah. Subjective because it had to meet my own personal standards of like, I think it's good. Yeah. But that's kind of attainable. It's ch- it's a challenge. Artists are notoriously dissatisfied with their work and always trying to do something better. And Oh my gosh. That has its value because it, if you just created something and like, that's the best I'm ever going to do and I'm good, then you wouldn't continue. You wouldn't grow and you wouldn't create new things. So, you know, again, balance. But in order to be successful, I had to create stuff that I thought was good, not just what the music business or industry was interested in, but also... The more externally, I had to be commercially successful. And what I mean by that is not like uh, on the cover of every magazine and, you know, like huge stardom. Although, quite honestly, I would not have turned that down at that point in my life. But the goal was... I am going to support myself. I'm going to make a living. I'm going to be able to sustain myself, however modest of a, you know, lifestyle, doing this thing that I love. That to me meant commercial success. Now, anything beyond that? was perfectly welcome, but it wasn't required. I don't know if that sounds unreasonable or not, but the fact is, is that it's not easy. (laughs) It's not easy, which is fine. I didn't think it was. I didn't expect it to be. But the danger was that I felt that unless I was able to do those things and until I was able to do those things, I was essentially, I don't know if I would have said worthless, but my self-esteem was depending on it to a large extent, depending on a certain amount of both internal and external validation. So I was like cracking the whip internally, like, you know, you got to be great. And then also very much dependent upon the world outside of me agreeing. (laughs) Even just on the internal side, I was unhelpfully hard on myself. Then as soon as you make your well-being dependent on things outside of yourself, danger zone. 
whoa. In a sense, I set myself up for a disaster to happen at some point. And I experienced my really most difficult time in my mid-20s. 25, 26 was of my adult life by far the most fraught with suffering and difficulty and emotional wreckage. And yeah, it was a very painful thing. I kind of crashed and burned. You know, I was giving, giving, giving everything that I had, doing everything in my power to make this dream of mine come true. You know, doing impressive stuff when I look back, especially like for a young person. And some of that is because I was a young person, but really putting myself out there, really going for it. And I don't regret any of that, but I paid a price. It was a, a profoundly disorienting thing, making my sense of self-worth and my entire identity dependent upon this thing that I really wanted to do. That was a um, an inflection point for sure. And it has colored my life ever since because I, I had exhausted myself, like really, really exhausted myself in an unsustainable way. And I had to reach a point where I had to say, you know what? My overall well-being actually has to come first and actually has to be more important than this goal, this dream, this pursuit, this thing that I want. And it might sound obvious to a listener, like, well, of course, duh. I had to learn that the hard way. The two by four over the head. Or to the gut. Yeah, exactly. There's two things that were coming up for me as you were sharing that. And again, thank you. I know that's that always takes you back to those times. But the first thing was, and this was a recent conversation I had with a friend, and I think this is something that's culturally leading us astray, but it's almost like we ha- we leave ourselves with our identity and we attach to something external. But I love this idea of you allowing that identity to come into you so that you're not detaching from yourself at the core and you can still have that being an aspect of you. But again, it's this idea that it's coming from an intrinsic place. It's not who you are. It's a part of your life, but it's not who you fundamentally are. Yes. Yeah, that's very true. And I do think that for me, part of my process was I had to stop entirely, completely. I had to kind of stop doing it. And I had to learn that I was a worthwhile person without this, without this quote, superpower. The Clark Kent version of me was, was lovable and acceptable and worthwhile, whether or not I ever became Superman again. Reference to Superman 2, where he gives up his superpowers for Lois Lane, if you, for those of you. Mm-hmm. So that was one thing I had to learn. And I also really had to learn that it was possible for me to be happy outside of this. <laughs> That it was possible for me to experience happiness, joy, peace, contentment, completely independent of this trick that I could sometimes pull off, this thing that I could do that sometimes impressed people. Mm. Those things, it's easy to sort of say them in a, in a sentence like that, but <laughs> getting to the point of really internalizing that took years. Yeah. And that's a death of self from an existential point of view. Yeah. And the other thing that I'm seeing too is there's this friction. Again, this is between the creative, the process, the love, the magic, and the outcome. Mm. Yes. And there's this constant friction in life. And the outcome is almost the contradiction or the antithesis to the process. Yeah. I think to stick with anything for uh, a significant amount of time, it's required that you love the process. Bingo. And the more you can detach from the results and the outcomes, which is 
which is really hard, by the way. Really, really hard. Let's just be clear about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but the more you can do it, the more freeing it is. Setting it up saying, hey, demanding that my art supports my material needs in the world, however modest they might be. Making that demand of it is very outcome-based, is very outcome-focused. It's not freeing. No. Because you're depending on it to provide a specific outcome or result. And so what happens when it doesn't? Part of what I was really conflicted about and agonized over was this questioning. I did a lot of questioning of myself. And again, not in a, in a very compassionate way, of, which was like, well, if you loved this so much, what the hell's your problem? Why are you stopping, you know, Mr. I Love Music? <laughs> I questioned my own motives and intentions. And the truth is, is that it was a mix of things. There was for sure a sincere love of music. There's no question about that. And a love for the creative process and exploration and self-expression and performing, you know, and even writing, even though that could be painful. But there was definitely a love of process was part of it. It wasn't the whole thing. There was also an attachment to ego gratification and external validation and monetary success of some degree and acknowledgement it was a mix of things. And do you think it's also that we have this kind of backwards in society, this idea that in order to be successful, we must suffer mm. and we must work hard. It's almost like success won't come unless you feel really shitty first. And at the expense of yourself. Bingo. And at what cost? And what I have been practicing recently is the reverse of that. What if I lived my life in a way that felt good first? What if I played first and then worked? What if I brought feeling good to the forefront of my priorities instead of working hard? I've had success that way. But what I've realized in terms of how society would define success, right? I, I've reached uh, external metrics of success. But when I got there, it never felt like success to me. I was like, oh, of course I was in the top 1% in this company last quarter because I almost died to get there. And so I'm trying for myself to rephrase what is actually success for me? And how do I want to feel while I'm doing that? I'm internally driven, but I'm not outcome driven. But with Krissa, her fuel can come from that. From both internal and external. Yes. But as soon as you get to that elevated point, she's like, what's next? Krissa's instantly like, I'm here. Next second, I need to know where I'm going now. There's no living in the elevation or really sitting and absorbing that she's made it to this point she thought she wanted. I think that's a common experience, actually. You get the thing you've been chasing, you're at, you know, you're after, and then it, there's this feeling of, and now what? Because you've been in this mode of pursuit. And there's, there's this like anticlimactic moment of like, oh, okay. So it becomes this endless sort of treadmill of chasing the next accomplishment. Mm -hmm. You know, the stuff that you're talking about is, uh, is difficult. And it's universal. It's very much part of the experience of being human, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Well, people experience it in their own ways with their own slants and their own specifics. But I think that these experiences, though, are very much part of our journey. And what really hit me, Carissa, was when you talked about defining or redefining what success even means for you, as opposed to what we're told it means or what it's so irrelevant what other people think is success. If you don't feel, if you don't feel good about it yourself, it's not a success as far as I'm concerned. Well said. But yeah, it's, it's hard to divorce yourself completely from the opinions of other people. We're social animals and our standing with other people is hardwired in us to be linked with our survival. 
certainly there's room for living in such a way that works for you regardless of how it's viewed and not caring so much about how how it's viewed. I, I know what I'm saying is kind of contradictory, but it's not that you don't care at all about other people and what they think. That's not completely the thing. But you don't let that stop you from doing what feels right for you and what feels good for you. For you, Bingo. Yeah. And, and it's a tricky thing. It's a tricky thing. And this is, to me, the beauty of having some sort of transcendent experience connection to self. Because once you realize that's the real you, that's your worth, when something's internal, that can't, it can't be taken away from you. Yeah. Well, you know, Carissa, you talked about coming from a place of play and, and joy. That's something that is very much what you're describing, Sharice. Like, yes. That is something that is true for you. And I'm watching my words just because I'm very careful about, you know, I was going to say no one can take that away from you. Um, and I think that that's true. I'm thinking about, like I'm saying, is is that true as I, as I think it and say it? And right. It's not an absolute. That's for sure. People can make you feel bad about it maybe, or, or I shouldn't even say that. No, because you have to give them permission to, in order for that to be the case. So it's, 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 there are consequences that you have to accept. Maybe that's more accurate. When you listen to yourself and your own needs and respect, you know, your own sense of what it means to be successful. Yes. And even just being able to separate that from the external, wow, even that is really hard to do. It's really hard to pull it apart because our environment is so impactful and so influential on us. It seeps in and it's a part of us in ways we're not even aware. So we might think that we're doing something because it meets our own personal definition of success. And maybe it does. And maybe it, that personal definition of success has been uh, very much co-created. We're all in the stew. Yep. But I think the, the measurement to what Cerise is saying is, is how it feels inside. And that's, I think, where what I was saying about success is like, if, if, it does, if you don't feel good about it, it's not success. There's a song, it was originally a poem by Edwin Arlington Robinson, if, I, if I'm remembering that right. Paul Simon turned it into a song that he recorded with Simon and Garfunkel called Richard Corey. And then Paul McCartney did a version of it with Wings, which is really cool. But the, the gist of the song is uh, the narrator is this factory worker who is extreme is extremely envious about the owner of the factory named Richard Corey and, and just curses himself. He literally says, I curse the life I'm living and I curse my poverty. And I wish that I could be Richard Corey. And he imagines Richard Corey's life and all of its extravagances and luxuries and privileges. And he's bitter about it. And then the punchline at the end is, um, so uh, my mind was filled with wonder when the evening headlines read, Richard Corey went home last night and put a bullet in his head. So it's like, success? Successful? Hmm. By whose terms? Absolutely. Yeah. As you guys are talking, I think for me, again, this is probably one of the unexpected benefits of of being plucked from society and, and living outside of it. I could never find success by the way that everybody else set it up. I've never had that taste of it. I've never been able to stay well for more than a year in it. So for me, it's definitely been about finding my path completely outside of that because everything that externally was told, I couldn't even survive in. I guess much of my journey has just been learning, okay, I need a way of life now where I can just survive. And even financial aside, because for me, my health, it's a quick go, right? So in the sense I'm saying is like, I guess that's a privilege that I'm not colored by that, by that lure of success. 
Sounds like you're forced to honor your well-being. I do not have a choice. Whereas a lot of people can get away with, at least for a period of time, neglecting their well-being in the pursuit of, quote, success. And it sounds laughable, right? Like, how can you have success if you don't have well-being? There's this great quote. I don't know where it originates from, but it goes something like, uh, when you're young, you sacrifice your health for money. And then when you're older, you sacrifice your money for your health back. Something along those lines. Yeah, so true. <laughs> what if you had prioritized your health all along or your well-being all along? Hmm. Like I said, that's been my journey because that's been my only choice because I was always on the brink of death. Whoa, those are high stakes there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> True. You know, I was just thinking to myself that it, in a way it brings this kind of full circle with childhood. And sure. I had this, um, you know, very much internally driven compulsion to be a straight A student, blah, 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 to succeed. But clearly, like, where did these messages come? They came from the outside. And so going back to like this curiosity thing, curiosity is a spark. Curiosity makes you want to go out into the world and explore and understand and learn things. Yes. I have to think that that is kind of embedded in us at birth. Most people in some fashion have that spark of curiosity. And then it's just a matter of time before society like beats the crap out of it and and, and knocks it down. Yeah. And what I was going to say is but curiosity also requires courage. Not everybody is courageous enough to follow that spark of curiosity for good, I guess, to want to be better. Well, that's, that's because of, of the messages you get from your environment, I think. I, de- I definitely think that there there is a connection there, but I don't think it's, curiosity is dependent upon courage. Yes, it can happen in reverse, too. Because I think that curiosity is, to, to some extent, our natural state. Hmm. Now, in order to, to pursue a curiosity uh, in society, that if society frowns upon that curiosity, then courage is required. Hmm. But the curiosity itself, and so what's what's so fascinating, again, is like school ideally should foster this curiosity and not stifle it. And, you know, best of intentions, you know, my whole thing about, and again, I don't have a solution for this, but like I was pursuing grades because grades were the metric of success. And that is at least somewhat in conflict with the curiosity and the spark to understand and learn for its own sake. Then we have to remove outcome. We have to remove the metric. We have to take that out of the out of the equation. Yeah, and grades are outcome, but it's it's a little bit of a catch twenty two. It is like having the grade as a motivator. It made the goal. It made success being this metric that didn't necessarily correlate to the in, the internal experience of success, which is learning and growing and understanding and developing. To me, that's success. Or I guess the outcome could be effort. Like if we're assigning value to something, it would have to be linked to that process. And the funny thing about creativity, though, is as soon as you apply stress, creativity is stifled, right? Not necessarily. You don't think so? Okay. No, I think that there's this there's this thing called eustress, E-U-S-T-R-E-S. Okay. And it refers to this sweet spot where if you don't have it, if you don't have enough stress, like the absence of stress is like stagnancy, boredom. You need a certain amount of, a certain amount of stress is stimulating. And healthy. Yeah, and healthy. And then there's a point at which the law of diminishing returns comes back and it becomes unhelpful and it becomes damaging and it becomes overwhelming and that's no good. And so there's, there's this sweet spot where it's like just the right amount of stress. Yeah. Okay. And here's the thing, I think. So for me, the curiosity courage connection is because I think in order for there to be that, how you just said that so beautifully, that environment of curiosity, there has to be safety. Right. Oh, yes. 
So it has to be a place of safety for, for curiosity to be something that is desirable to explore. <laughs> so most of my life, I have not had the safety to be curious. Mm. Wow, that's just very sad. And so I think if, if we could transpose that, like those that sort of safe place of belonging for there to be curiosity fostered in workplaces and schools, like that can transcend anything. I think that's brilliant. And then the courage piece is this is one of the paradoxes as I see it is that you can't have courage without some sort of, for lack of a better way of putting it, like negative influence. Mm -hmm. I see what you're saying. Courage means acting in the face of threat for a higher value or ideal. Cool. So in a way, if we created this perfect world where, where it was perfectly safe and go explore and be curious and it's all wonderful, it's like in a way without any hardship or threat, mm. then there's no place for courage. There's no way to, for courage to, to be built and nurtured and cultivated because there's nothing to be afraid of. Everything's fine. Again, I, no solutions here. I'm just talking out loud and talking about how you know it's why difficulties can be so crucial to our character development. No, so cool. Because without any difficulties, we wouldn't have to develop certain skills of resiliency and certain character traits that are really helpful and that are really important, like courage. If we lived in a, in a world where, where, where there was no reason to fear anything, then there also wouldn't be any courage. And it reminds me again of Brave New World. It's like, if we lived in a world where there was... Um, there was no room for unhappiness or feeling of dis-ease, if you will, then there'd be no freedom. And like, whoa, where? <laughs> okay, so now what do we do? Like, how do we, how do we navigate that? I don't know. <laughs> well, and Sharif and I always talk about this in, in our podcast, like there's no light without shadow. There has to be that polarity in all things. It's in every human. <laughs> the, way, the way I like to think of it in a practical sense is that we can use everything that life throws at us and that everything that happens to us and everything we can experience, we can use it. And what I mean is that more specifically, many of those things we would not necessarily choose, but we can still use them. In a way, I think like the best that we can do as humans is to take our, the cards that we're dealt and, and take the experiences that are thrust upon us and take the life we're given and it's the whole situation and forge something meaningful, valuable, beautiful out of it. And again, it's like we wouldn't necessarily choose a lot of these things. There are things that happen to people that are downright awful, and I would not wish them on anyone. But sometimes you hear people say things, you hear people say things like cancer was the best thing that ever happened to me. And you hear that and you're like, whoa, whoa, like, wait a minute here. What they are usually talking about is it maybe completely gave them perspective on life. It allowed them to really understand what's important. It was a pivotal thing that without, without it, they may not have realized some some greater experience and it's it's hard right it's hard to hear that because no one would wish that on themselves or other people yes this is the healing journey so the way out of our struggle there's a, actually a podcast on this called a slight change of plans by maya shaknar i think that's their last name but it's all about how we survive and translate and then transform is we have to assign meaning to our yeah challenging experiences and it's through that meaning that gives new life yeah and the, and the the challenge there is to assign a meaning to it that is an empowering meaning yes 
because we can do the opposite, right? Exactly. We can interpret it in any way. We can interpret it as, you know, well, life is... Go back to being a victim. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. And I, I guess the other thing that I was hearing in your story, it's called Shadow Work in Therapy. There's the book on the human shadow... And there's a story about this long bag we drag behind us. And this kind of, I guess, summates all of what we've been talking about, that we spend birth to whatever age as an adult, shoving parts of ourselves, experiences in this long, invisible bag behind us. And then at some point, we decide we're going to open that bag. Some people never do, perhaps. But what they say is, like, we spend our whole upbringing throwing things into the bag. And then once it's open, we spend the rest of our lives pulling the things out of the bag. Yes. And I'm like, isn't this just so true of, of our human experience? It's the learning and the unlearning. Yeah. And you have to be willing to open and, and peek in there and, and see what's there and take it out and examine it. And that, that takes courage. That definitely does. And the longer it goes, the, the bigger that bag is. And there's even the, the imagery they use. They said the person that opens the bag, there might be a lot of hostility and anger coming out of that bag. That's my, the metaphor I use just for life in general. And I really love that. Yeah. It's a brilliant metaphor because what I take from it visually is that, that it, it's a weight. I think when I think of the bag and all the things in it, it's this weight that you're carrying around, this burden that, that you're carrying around with you. And until you're willing to examine the contents of it, you're weighed down by it. And, and once you do examine the contents of it and make peace with them, then then you're liberated because you're less weighed down. And, and as you empty that bag and integrate its contents into yourself, then they're not weighing you down and you're you're actually in a way like liberated from them but it's like a lifetime's work yes beautiful beautiful that's the word integration that's exactly what i think because it's all of these aspects that are were once part of us that we've demoted and then it's like how do we reintegrate those into this being brilliant i feel like we could keep going for hours and hours and hours but eric i would like for you to share with our listeners where people can find you sure and thanks both of you for a really engaging and fun and just stimulating and wonderful conversation. This was so great and it felt really natural and easy. And uh, so I appreciate both of you for putting it together and for inviting me. So people can find me just by my website is my name, Eric with a C, E-R-I-C. Last name is T-E-P-L-I-T-Z. Teplitz, which Carissa got right on the first shot. I was so impressed. EricTeplitz.com. And that's a perfect gateway, if you will, into finding whatever you want to find about me. There's a lot of free content you can access on there, uh, including, you know, 100 plus blog articles and some articles on other websites as well. And there's video content on there. I have two invitations to anyone listening. One is you're welcome to schedule a coaching call. I do personal coaching and I offer a free coaching consultation with absolutely zero obligation to it. If you want to just spend some time chatting with me and seeing if I can help in some way with something that you're struggling with. And then the other invitation is I created a course. It's the first uh, thus far only course that I've created. It's called Opening to Greater Possibilities. I'm super proud of it. I could not have created it without all of my lived experience to this point. Thanks to the long bag. Yeah, exactly. It, it totally informed the content of it. And in a, in a way, it's like the culmination of all of my life experience that I put into this course and, and determining like sometimes things happen to you uh, and you get lucky and opportunities come about through maybe not necessarily anything of your own doing. But I really gave a lot of 
deep thought to what are the things that I've done in my life to help facilitate and uh, invite experiences that were pivotal, pivotal in positive ways and that opened me up in really uh, to whole other like dimensions of my life. What, what role did I play in those? And what are the things that people can do to harness their own sense of agency and power in opening up new and greater possibilities for themselves. That's that's what the course is about. And so there's, I invite you to check it out. There's a free preview that you can sign up for again. And then if you're interested in purchasing the course after that, you're welcome to, but you can, for free, you can sample the introduction and the first full module, which is called the power tool of journaling. But if you go to ericteplitz.com, you can find all that stuff. Amazing. Thank you. And we always like to end each episode with, kind of a rapid fire, fast five questions. Since you were referencing Superman earlier, I want to know, did Clark Kent find his Lois? Yeah. How about that? It took a, took a minute. <laughs> and that was a, that was a huge journey that we could talk about, no doubt, like for an entire episode. The short answer is yes. At the age of 33, I met Samantha, who is now my wife. I feel like I really paid my dues before that, but it paid off. <laughs> I'm really blessed to have a life partner that is my best friend and just someone I adore and just enjoy being with and spending time with. We are true partners and help and support each other and complement each other, both in the in the sense of complement with an E and, and with an I. Yeah, so I have a lot to, to, that I could say about that, but yes, um, yes, he did. And thank goodness. Yeah, amazing. Thesis? That gives me hope. I'm 33 and I've paid my dues, I feel like, too. So <laughs> I'm off in the same boat. So, Oh, yeah. It's absolutely possible. It's a confounding thing because one of the crucial aspects of it is timing. And timing is like the one thing that you have pretty much zero control over. There are things you, you can do, but it's ultimately like it's not something you can totally just control or force or make happen or will yeah absolutely not it is possible I, I can tell you from personal experience that it is possible i have a lot of other things to say about that and thoughts about it but i do think that luck plays a part so many other things i could say but yes it, it, it actually happens it can happen and it does happen and i'm very grateful okay and then my question for you is one on the lighter side do you prefer coffee or tea Hmm. My daily actual behavior would suggest coffee. <laughs> Perfect. And what's been the favorite year of your life so far? The favorite year of my life. This sounds like a trick question because all there ever is is now. Yeah, right. So I'm going to say this one. <laughs> I love it. Beautiful. What is the worst advice you've ever received? The worst advice I've ever received. Oh my goodness. That's a great question. Hmm. Well, all right. I'll, I'll give this just because it's the first thing that came to mind. So when I was um, in the heart of pursuing music as a career and really like firing on all cylinders in that direction, I had completed a CD that I had made and I was just starting to get it out into the world and using it to attempt to kind of launch myself into a music career. And I went back home. I was living in Nashville at the time. I went back home to Philadelphia and met with a music teacher of mine in high school who was a really influential um 
and positively so, force in my life. He taught me an incredible amount. And we learned college level music theory from him, as well as music history. And I looked up to him for sure. He was he was a genius. Personality wise, he could be difficult, but I, I was able to strike a really good rapport with him. Anyway, I, I went back home and I was visiting with him. He said to me, I don't know if this constitutes as advice, but he said to me, so, you know, how long are you going to give this thing, this music thing? Like, what's your timeline? Like, after how long are you going to just hang it up and decide to get a haircut and become an accountant? You know, those weren't his words, but I think it came from a good place. I would certainly give him the benefit of the doubt, but I felt like it was a ridiculous question and thing to ask me and, and thing to say, because my feeling was, I, I don't have a timeline for this. This is not, my mindset at that moment was, there is no timeline. This is this is absolutely what I want to do. Anyway, as it turned out, it wasn't all too long after that before life kicked me in the ass and knocked me down so hard that I kind of felt like I didn't have a choice and I had to put it on on hold indefinitely. But it was just this, um, it was disappointing to hear that coming from someone that I looked up to and was hoping to have the encouragement, uh, encouraging support of. And he was coming at it more from the the traditional adult figure practicality view of, you know, like, how long are you going to give this before you like face reality and grow up or whatever? And it was a little hurtful to hear that. Okay, Krista, last question. What is your dream or vision for the world? Wow, you you don't mess around with these questions. I would like to see a world where our basic needs are met and sort of provided for us, everyone from birth. And when I say basic needs, I'm talking about health, healthcare, access to good healthcare and education. And even, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in this idea of universal basic income. A modest amount, but enough to survive on. I feel like we live in a time where we're capable of, of providing this for people because I feel like this would provide that sort of safety that you were talking about, Carissa, and um, ability for people to really explore and have permission to find out what their gifts are and to be able to pursue their passions and share the results of those pursuits with the world without the burden that comes, the burdens of like just worrying about survival. So it's, it's sort of an ideal vision. And again, I, I did mention earlier that challenges do shape us in positive ways and difficulties do um, help forge some of the best aspects of our character. But in terms of a vision, you know, I would like to see a respect for all life and for the planet that sustains us, which is sorely lacking. I mean, you know, again, I don't have any answers here, but I feel like by prioritizing profit over these other things, over people and and uh, our environment, like that to me strikes me as absolutely not good. <laughs> Ethically problematic and practically not at all wise. I'd like to see a priority made universally on well-being as opposed to, quote, success. Beautiful. As a human being, you are worthy simply by fact of your existence and you're worthy of love. Ooh. Well, thank you so much, Eric. It was such a pleasure. And I, I do hope that we can continue many facets of this conversation. <laughs> I'd love to. Thank you again, both of you, Carissa and Sharice. This has been a total delight. Hi, my name is Bodie. I hope you stay safe. Hi, my name is Gabe. I hope you have a great day. Audio production by Joel Vargasi at Lewis Studios.